Fusion City Church, how are we doing? You guys good? Yeah. Whew. Man, it's good to see all of you guys here with us this morning. It's so, so good to, to be back here again this Sunday. I hope that, uh, that you're excited about what God is doing in your life uh, throughout your everyday routine and everyday life. We believe that, that God wants to be a part of all of that. Uh, if you're visiting with us today for the very first time, if you've never been here before, uh, my, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. And I have the opportunity today to, to, to walk us through week two of our series called Better Together. Um, and if this is your first time, we know that uh, you could have picked a lot of other places to hang out. And, and having new people here means a, a whole lot to us. So much, in fact, that we would we'd like to give you a gift of just our way of saying thanks for spending some time with us. That we're really excited that, that new people are here. We get really excited about new people. And so what we'd like for you to do is during the course of your time with us here together this morning, if you would take just a few minutes to fill out the bottom portion of that program that you got when you walked in the, the doors, um, we call that a connection card. If you'll fill that, with, fill that out with just a little bit of information and then take that to the hub, that's our area right inside the front doors as you came in, we have a gift there for you. Again, just our way of saying thanks for hanging out with us. We're really, really excited that you're here. And the reason that we're in this, this short two-week series to talk about how we are better together is because as a church, we believe that, that life was never meant to be lived alone, that we were designed, we were created, God put within our DNA, this, this desire, this, this thriving that we have when we are in relationship with other people. And we talked a little bit about that last week. We said that the reason that, that, we, that God created us to be relational was so that we could relate to him, but that same relational desire that God put into us so that we could relate to him also gives us a great desire and a great need to relate to others. And we talked last week about why we are better together, and we'll continue that same discussion again today. Now, I want to set it up like this because I want us to have a really honest conversation about the value that we have to one another. Um, many years ago, now I almost said several, but it's actually many. It's, it's many years ago, uh, I used to play some pretty highly competitive softball. I, I love to play ball, played baseball in high school, and once you get older and you can't hit the fast stuff anymore, then they make the ball bigger and they make it a lot slower, and so you get to play softball. And so when I was older, I started to play softball in my later 20s, uh, and I played in some competitive tournaments, and so... I remember this, this one specific time. We went to a tournament. I think it was in Raleigh somewhere. We're playing softball, and uh, I had developed an affinity for a, a bat that a friend of mine owned. I loved it. I, I liked the way that it hit, liked the way that it felt. It's just kind of perfect for me or whatever. For whatever reason, in this tournament, I found myself in a slump. Like, I just couldn't seem to get a hit. Everything that I did hit, somebody called. I couldn't get on base. I hadn't been on base in what seemed like a month. I was losing my mind, totally frustrated. And so it went about, I finally, I finally got one. Like I hit it really, really, really well. And it, was, it went a you know, great distance almost to the fence. And a dude caught it like sliding, diving catch right before it hits the ground. I was so frustrated. And so this bat that didn't belong to me, I was frustrated. So I slammed it on the ground, right, because that's what you do. Because everybody needs to know, when you're mad, everybody needs to know that you're mad. And that's like you got, if you don't break something, or you don't slam something, or you don't yell really like nobody knows that you're mad. And I mean, what's the point of being mad if nobody knows that you're mad, right? That's terrible advice. Don't, I'm not, <laughs> that's not true at all. Don't, don't believe that. That's not true. I'm just, just, just being funny, I guess. So I slam this bat on the ground, and I get back to the dugout, and my, my friend's like, hey, man. Um, if you're going to slam my bat on the ground when you get upset, how about you just don't use it anymore? And all of a sudden, in my, in my frustration, right, 
I was kind of snapped back into the reality that, dang, I just slammed something on the ground that doesn't belong to me. Because when something belongs to us, we're, we're responsible for its care, right? Like, we're responsible for its well-being. We're the ones that have to replace it if it breaks, if we want another one. Like, we're responsible for the things that belong to us. And here, I just mistreated something that didn't belong to me. And so, the person to whom it did belong took offense to that. And here's why I tell you that story. Because Paul, speaking on behalf of God as it relates to us who are the body of believers inside of the church, said this in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. Paul says, Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body, the church, We are many parts of one body, and watch this, and we all do what? We all belong to each other. We we belong to each other. And if the nature of things that belong to us is that we are responsible for for the health, for the well-being, for the upkeep of, if we are responsible for the things that belong to us, And God says that as Christ's body, the church, we all belong to one another. If you follow that equation, here's the logic that you get. We are responsible for the well-being and the upkeep of each other. Here's the interesting thing about our our physical bodies. They are designed to, to, to help. Each part works with and helps and restores and even sometimes heals other parts of our body. A couple years ago, I had my, I had my gallbladder removed. I had some gallstones. It was really painful, the whole deal. I go to the doctor. He's like, well, let's just take it out. We take these things out all the time. And so in my, in my meeting with the doctor, he says, yeah, if we, if we take the gallbladder out, then the, the purpose that the gallbladder serves, the things that the gallbladder does, your body will just compensate. Like, it'll just make, it'll make extra of other stuff because you no longer have a gallbladder. I thought that was fascinating. Like, we can just remove parts of our body, and then the rest of our body's like, y'all, I got this. Watch this. Like, like hold my drink. I'll take care of it, right? Like, I thought that was so amazing. Like, you can just remove a part of the body, and then the rest of the body just takes care of itself, because that's the way that a body is supposed to work. We're responsible for the upkeep, for the well-being, for the health of the rest of the body. That's what we do. Well, here's the interesting thing about all of us, though we are all parts of the the body itself, all of us are complex individuals. We have all of these different areas and facets of our life where interactions look different. And so that means that all of us, in all of our complexity, have a lot of areas of our life where problems can happen, where, where we can drift a little and begin to lose sight of how we interact with people or the way that, that people are feeling about us or the way that we're feeling about ourselves. In all these different areas of our life, we need other people to help us. We need other parts of the bodies to, to compensate where we fail, to compensate where we're weak, or to help us when we struggle or when we fail. And so as I was thinking about this and thinking about this series, I stumbled upon this, I don't know if it's a theory or a principle. I don't, I don't really know what it's called, but it's, it's called the Johari Window. Uh, if you want to Google that, you're welcome to. Um, but it's, it's called the Johari Window, and it's aimed at helping us see all of the different areas of our life 
and, and from the perspective that we see life through different areas of our life. It, it'll make more sense in a minute, I sure hope. So, so in the Johari windows, there, there are four quadrants. If you've ever seen, guys ever seen like the quadrant thing where you get the X in the middle and you got, you know, you got on one axis you got one thing, on the other axis you have another thing. So there are some things that we know about ourselves and there are some things that other people know about us. And everywhere that those two ideas intersect is a different perspective through which we see, view, and respond to life. So because it was called the Johari window, I thought it was appropriate to have a window. And so the the first quadrant of the Johari window is the public self. I think we have a graphic for that. Yeah, so the public self. This is information that I know about me that the public also knows about me or that everybody else knows about me. Now, in, in the public self, what is known about, you can see everything about me, right? Like everything, you can still see me. I'm not hidden from you at all, minus the, the grids in the window. Like it's, it's, this is kind of the, the clear and open window. You can see through it what happens on the other side of the window. You have complete access to, you can still view. It's the public self. This shows up a lot in our social media, right? A, a lot, for a lot of us, our public self is the best, the best version of ourselves, isn't it? Like, here are all the good things that happen in my life. Here are, and, and we have some, we, we all have those friends that put the negative stuff out there too. But the public persona, the public self, this is what you know about you, but what the public also knows about you or what everybody, these are things that can be known by everybody. It's the open window. And, and like I said, and we, again, kind of hearkening back to last week, all of us were designed to be in and to operate in relationship with other people. And so as we are in this, this open window setting, the public self, we need people to know us. We, I need people who know me. I need to be known. It's a, it's a craving of life. Solomon said it like this in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Again, we talked about Solomon last week, the wisest man to ever live. Solomon said this. He said, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Now here at Fusion, we put a lot of emphasis on our connect groups. Because we know that even with your public persona and even with all of your social media contacts and with all of the friends that you have on your Facebook profile that you've never met, right? Because those are real friends, the people that are friends on Facebook that you've never met, right? Social media is so, so very much redefining friendship for us. But, but even in that, you, you need people who really know you. And, and so we, we put a lot of emphasis on our groups, and a lot of you have responded, and you're in a connect group. But here's, here's the challenge that I would make to you who are in connect groups. Don't just be in the group, but be active in your group. Be, be, make an effort to be a real part of your group, because that's the only way that anyone is ever really going to know you is if you allow yourself to, to open up just a little and to be a, a little bit vulnerable so that people get to know you because all of us need other people. that, they, that We need to be more known by the people that are close to us. We, we need people to know us. 
Now, the, the second quadrant of the Jahari window is called the private self. Now, the private self is what I know about me that you don't. So the, 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 the private self is all of these things that I know about me that you have no access to. This is the private self. These are my secrets. These are the things that, that I play so close to the chest that I don't let very many, if anybody, know. It's the private me, what only I know. See, here's the danger about the private self. Is that our enemy, Satan, he loves to play in the arena of our private life. He likes to attack the things that produce the most shame and regret and guilt. And the areas where you have secrets are some of the most dangerous parts of your life. Because if you're already scared to tell somebody else, Satan can't wait to attack in the areas where you're most shameful. That's where he can do the most damage and you'll be too afraid to get the help that you need. But we were created to live in relationship. We were created to, to thrive in, in intimate connections with other individuals because that provides us an outlet to get rid of our secrets so that, so that the playing field for our enemy to work and to, to, to do damage in our lives is smaller and smaller and smaller. The Bible says that if you know the truth, that the truth will set you free. And when we have secrets, when we have things that we hold to, we play so close to the chest, we're in danger of giving our enemy a, a foothold, a room to play and to operate in our lives. So each of us, I need, for me, I need people who know my secrets. I need, I, you could even phrase it, I need people who I know well enough and trust well enough to be able to share my secrets. And that, those relationships take time. Yeah, I, I believe that the, the reason that we do connect groups, that the way that we do them, where we give you the opportunity to stay with the same group of people over and over and over again, and just we, we encourage you to stay in your group because we want you to continue to strengthen and build the relationships with people in your group so that you have more people in your life that you're comfortable sharing your secrets with. Jesus said it like this. He, he gave us some warning about our secrets. He said this in Luke chapter 12, verse 2 and 3. He said, the time is coming when everything that is covered up will be revealed. And all that is secret will be made known to all. Whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops. Somebody's going to know. One day, all of your secrets are going to be revealed anyway. Because that's where our enemy loves to work, is in the secrets. And then he gave us this encouragement, James chapter 5, verse 16. James gives us this, this helpful advice. He says, confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other. So that you may be healed. What does a body do to itself when another part of it hurts? It, it heals, Right? How do we get healing when there are secrets in our life? We confess our sins to each other. There's, there's no shame in Christ. There's grace in Christ. Truth in grace, right? We embrace the truth. We experience the grace. We talk about that a lot. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great 
power and produces wonderful results. So I would encourage you to do this in your groups as you continue to meet. And be open. Be open with your group. Be vulnerable. The only thing that your secret and your shame is going to get you is more guilt. But there is freedom in confession, in repentance. There's, There's freedom there. Our enemy would love nothing more than for you to continue to feel so shamed by what you've done or what's going on in your life that you don't share it with anybody. He would love nothing more than for that to be a secret. But the key to healing is to confess our sins to each other so that we may be healed and to pray for each other. Our connect groups should be judgment-free zones. You bring all of your junk. Like you, you are just as messed up as I am, and I am just as messed up as you are. So let's just figure this thing out together. Don't be afraid to let other people in, especially if they're believers. Because the purpose of the church, the purpose of other believers is to join with you so that you may be healed. But if you don't, if you broke your leg and never went to the doctor, if you just, or broke it off, like just bleeding and gushing, and you're like, I don't need to tell anybody about that. It'll be just fine. You're going to die. Like you're going to die. From that, if you don't get help, the same thing is, you may not die from a secret, but you're certainly not going to be healthy until you address it. You need a group of people. You need a group of people who know your secrets. Secrets are dangerous. It's where Satan loves to play. Don't don't give him a big playground. The third quadrant, the third area of the Jahari window is the blind self. Now, my window doesn't do this justice today, but if you've ever looked out of the window of your house, then you know that you can only see so far to the right and so far to the left. That there's a limited perspective view when looking through a window. There are some things that you can't see. As it pertains to our interactions with other people, these are the things that you know about me that I don't know. Now, all of us in our lives, we have blind spots. That There are some things that you just can't see in the mirror. When you look at your own life, you think you're doing pretty good. Right? I, I, a friend of mine several years ago had this happen. He, uh, he overheard a, a, com- a phone conversation between my wife and me. I had called, and I don't know what, I don't know what I was upset about. Like I told you, when I get angry, I just like to I spew. I'm, I'm, I'm one of those angry people that I just blow up. It is what I'm working on. Jesus is working on it in me. I'm still, I'm getting better. But I was angry. I don't remember, I don't even remember the conversation now, but, but this is always, I don't remember the argument, but I remember the conversation after the argument because this is what happened. I put my phone down and he said, man, can I, can I tell you something? Yeah, sure, go ahead. He said, I hate the way you talk to your wife. Or at least in that conversation. I hated being in the room hearing you talk to your wife like that. Dude, you've got a sharp tongue, and that's your wife. I've never forgotten it. Because I had a friend that, now, I I thought, like, yeah, she deserved it, right? I don't don't, don't know what I thought at the time. I'm sure I felt like it was well-deserved, right? But all in that moment, he snapped me back to, to remind me of the husband that God called me to be. Gracious, forgiving, right, merciful, protective, 
I was doing harm, not protecting. And he called me on that. You and I, man, we need people that are going to be honest with us. I need people who will be honest with me. And again, this speaks to the, to the length of, of time that we need to be in relationship with somebody else, for them to have the relational capital with us to be able to call us out on the things that we can't see. You, you've been there. You've been out with that couple, right? And you've seen them interact. You've seen them interact with their kids, and they can't see it. They can't see that the way they parent their children is leading their children to be hellions. Like they can't see it. They, they think they're doing just fine, or they're, they're probably just doing the best that they can. And there's something about the way that they parent, they, they can't see it. But you can, can't you? Do your heads like this. Yeah, you know, you've been there. Man, how, now how much relational capital do you, do you need with somebody to be able to say, hey, man, like, why, do, why don't you try, like, I don't know, beating your kid? I'm not, not beating, like, not, not, don't, don't do that. Like, hey, man, why don't we try some discipline there and maybe they'll stop. Like, I don't, I don't, let's just give it a shot. See, there are things in our lives that, that we can't see. You can't see it in the mirror, but somebody else can. So you need people in your life to help you overcome the blind spots and the areas that you can't see. Your, your limited perspective as you view life through your window, there's only so much that you can see. So here's what I'd ask you to do in your groups. Be receptive to the input of other people. Be, be, be aware of their insights. Right? Let them speak the difficult things into your life so that you have the ability to change yourself for the better. That's what God would have us do to do, to work together, to better each other. God would have us to do that. That's Jesus using the church to make his church more beautiful for him. And we should, we should embrace that. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6 says this. It says, the wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. And there are a lot of people that tell you all the good stuff and all the good things you want to hear, but it takes a real friend to call you on your junk and point it out and ask you to get right back with Jesus, right? That, that takes some, some serious relational capital. So in your groups, speak up. Be active in your groups, sure. But spend some time listening as well. Embracing the insights of the other people in your group so that you widen your perspective and are able to see a bigger picture of life than you can through your limited perspective, through your window. And the last quadrant, the last part of the Jahari window, this is the unknown self. This is what I don't know that you don't know either. You say, well, Pastor Brian, how can we both not know? You could actually label this window if you wanted, or this quadrant. You could label this the potential. This is the potential self. This is what you could be or where you could be used. I borrowed this window from my mom. She has plans to use it as a decoration. Have you seen this? Like they do the decorative things on the walls with the old school like wooden windows or whatever. They make it all pretty and stuff. And mom loves to do that kind of stuff. My wife has some windows like that whenever we get our house built. That's a plan of hers to do some window decoration stuff. But at one point, this window was in a house. And it could have been, we don't know where it came from. We don't know what. It could have been in the White House for all we know. We, we don't, presidents could have looked through this window. I don't think they did. It's a little small for the White House. But like, it's not bulletproof either. Right? But, but I mean, this window could have been anywhere and it could end up anywhere. Long after my mom's house is gone, this window may be repurposed again. Who, who knows? 
Right? There's unlimited potential for where windows could land. They could land on a wall. They could land up in a wall. Who knows? There's unlimited potential for where windows can be used or how they can be used. And the same is true for us. There's an unlimited potential to our future and what God wants to do for us. If you would have asked me 12 years ago, hey, bro, or if you'd have told me 12 years ago, 13, 15 years ago, I don't know, I've lost track of how many years I've been doing this now. Hey, Brian, one day you're going to stand on a stage and you're going to preach to a couple hundred people every Sunday and they're going to listen and you're going to be a pastor of this church. I'd have laughed in your face. It is only, only, only by the grace and the gift of God that I get, that I get to do this. And I don't do this perfectly either. But I never thought this would be where I'm standing. And I'll tell you the reason that I'm a pastor. It's because there was a, another man who I was doing life beside of who challenged me. And he said, Brian, God wants more from you than he's getting right now. I don't even know what that means, but I know there's more that he wants from you than what you're currently giving. And I want you to pray about that. I was so confused. At the time, I was, I was actually leading music at a church at the time. I'm like, more? And dude, I'm on staff at a church. Like, what, what, what do you mean more? I don't, I don't know what I mean. I just want you to pray about it. And as I did, I began to, to feel this, this desire, this pull, this tug to, to be in that person that stands on a, on a stage or a platform and reads from the Bible and tries to explain it to other people. Like, how do you even get there? Well, you get there by allowing other people to inspire, to challenge, and encourage you. Someone inspired, <laughs> challenged, and then encouraged me, and now I get, to, I get to do this. And I'm not saying this is, please, I hope that doesn't seem arrogant or, or braggadocious in any way, shape, or form. Like, this is, this is an honor for me to be on this stage. I just never thought I would be here. And I don't think that God has done. I don't know what's next for me. I've got men in my life. You know, the pastors on this staff. I've got a godly wife. I've got godly friends that are always challenging and inspiring and encouraging me. And I don't know what God wants to do with me in the future. But here's what I do know. Wherever I end up and whatever potential has yet to be unlocked in my life, it will be unlocked because of the people that I put around me. Because we are better together than we are apart. Hebrews chapter 10 says this. It says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So as you meet with your groups, if, if all of us need people who are inspiring and challenging and encouraging, here's what I would ask you to do as you meet with your connect group, both this, both this session and all the sessions to come. Be inspiring be challenging, push each other, and be encouraging because we all need it. We were designed to live and to thrive 
in relationship. So, so let us encourage and inspire and challenge one another to, to love and to good works, as the Bible instructs. In every single area of our life, the public, the private, in our limited view, and in the potential and the unknown, we need each other. Because the body was designed to make the body better so that the message of the gospel goes forth. You know, we have an incredible story to tell, don't we? This, this thing that we have, this gospel, the good news of a God that loved us so much that he wanted to be in relationship with us. But because we were all broken and busted and jacked up, he couldn't be in relationship because he's perfect and we're not. So he had, to, he had to fix that relationship, and so he offered his son as a sacrifice to cover all of our busted and brokenness so that we could once again be in relationship with a holy and righteous heavenly father. Like, that's the story that we get to tell. And, and knowing that I don't tell that story when I'm unhealthy, that the, the more unhealthy I become, the more secrets that I have, the more blind spots that I have in my life, the less healthy and the less effective I am at sharing that message, I need my connect group. And I believe that every person in my connect group needs me. Every person in your connect group needs you. But they don't just need you to be present. They need you to be active and present. They need you to be encouraging and inspiring. They need you to be vulnerable. They need you to be open. They need you to be honest with them. And they need you to be there consistently so that the relationships can develop, so that you can grow closer and tighter and better together. Because we truly are that way, aren't we? So here's my, my challenge, my encouragement for you this week. If you're in a group, and most of you are, we're, we're really excited about that. For those of you who are in a group, man, be a vital part of your group because you are a vital part. Be what you are. You're a vital part of that group. Be there every week. We meet once a week. We ask for one night a week. And be in your group. They need you. They need your input. They need your insight. They need to hear from you so that they can know you and so you can know them so that you grow in trust and you can share secrets and all. They need that. And if you're not in a group, you need to get in a group. You need to be in a group of biblically-minded people so that you can, too, be better together. Would you pray with me? Father, all of us have been designed to be the, the healing effect for other brothers and sisters in Christ. You've created us and designed us to live and thrive in community. Father, it's, it's my hope now that we would be more than just in community, but that would be, we would be active helpful, encouraging, inspiring, and challenging parts of a community. God, help us do life better so that your body is healthier as a result. God, we thank you for this message of the gospel that you've given us. 
And we know, God, that we have a great responsibility to carry that message to a world that desperately needs the hope that's found in your grace and in your love. So, God, would you make us effective? Help us to encourage and challenge one each other to health so that we might better communicate the great story of your love for us. We thank you, Father, for your son Jesus and the hope that's in him. It's through him we pray. Amen.